Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. It's Wednesday, June 29th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. When it comes to providing more security at schools, especially in the wake of recent mass shootings, one of the conversations always includes arming teachers. In the small town of Utopia, Texas, about 45 minutes north of Uvalde, they have been arming teachers since 2013, and parents there feel safer for it. Volunteers must have a concealed carry permit and must be approved by the school board. Mariah Belingit, national education reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for what to know. Next, something you may not have known when you put gas in your car. If you pay with a debit or credit card, gas stations put a hold on your card up to $175. Typically, these holds are released in about two hours, but can take longer in some cases. Aisha Kalja, personal finance reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for how some can be put at risk of overdraft fees because of these increases. Finally, a new AI image generation tool called DAL-E could be one of those new technologies that change the world. This tool takes text prompts and generates images from them in a variety of art styles with very intuitive results. It's almost like using a Google search bar like it was Photoshop. Casey Newton, contributing editor at The Verge, joins us for how this could spur a creative revolution. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Any school employee can sort of apply or request to carry their gun on campus, and the school board reviews them. They have to have also a concealed carried weapon permit. The school board reviews it, signs off on it, and they can carry a gun on campus. Joining us now is Mariah Belingit, national education reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Mariah. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I wanted to talk about this interesting story about arming teachers. So we know what's been going on with a lot of these mass shootings lately. Obviously, in Uvalde, Texas, was a huge heartbreak to many after all those kids were killed uh, when the shooter went into into the school there. But, you know, what happens after that is conversations about what to do, how to harden schools, how to provide more security and all that. And one of the things in these conversations always comes up is, arming teachers. So just very close to Uvalde, actually, there's a town called Utopia in Texas. And there they've been arming teachers since 2013. And for the community there, it's very small, very close. They feel a lot more secure because of this. So Mariah, tell us a little bit about how Utopia handles this and and, and how the reaction has been to all this. Yeah, so Utopia got school police in 2013. And that was a year after the school shooting at Sandy Hook. And basically what happens is 
administrators, teachers, whomever, any school employee can sort of apply or request to carry their gun on campus. And the school board reviews them. They have to have also a concealed carried weapon permit. The school board reviews it, signs off on it, and they can carry a gun on campus. One of the interesting things about it, though, is the town doesn't really know who these people are. So parents don't necessarily know, unless they've asked and, you know, they're very close with everybody. But it's not something that they publicize, which staffers are the ones that are allowed to carry the guns. Yeah, I was really surprised at how secretive that they've been managed to keep this because it is a very small community. I had a woman joke with me that they don't even really need Facebook because the Whisper Network, it works so quickly there. <laughs> right. And so even in that environment, you know, I talked to one teacher who said, you know, I know of one person who's armed because I've seen his weapon or her weapon, but he didn't know who the others were. So they keep it pretty close to the vest about like who's actually armed. Yeah. Tell me about how this plays out nationally, at least. There's laws in 29 states that permit people to carry guns in K through 12 schools. Under some circumstances, right? You have to get it approved by the school board. The concealed carry permit is, is in the case here in Utopia. But how is this working out across the country so far? Yeah, so um, various states have different laws. There's a lot of states that probably don't have many teachers who are armed that have laws that would permit them to be armed if a superintendent signed off on it. So a school like Oregon, I think, has might have a couple of districts that use school police because they do have a law that says people can carry guns on campus as long as they have permission from superintendents. And then you actually have states like Texas and Florida and Ohio that have special programs to actually help teachers get armed, not necessarily provide them with weapons, but help them get trained, help them get recertified, help them with all those sorts of things, providing training, for example. And then they can become what are called, sometimes they're called school guardians or school marshals. So yeah, I mean, it definitely comes at a a variety of different levels. There are some states that just permit it, and there are some states that you might even say encourage it. Yeah, and we've seen, you know, some states, right, change the laws, change the rules where, you know, maybe you needed X number of hours to get permitted for something. You know, they've they've reduced the number of, uh, of hours of training needed just to get more people armed and help provide that protection is, is how the, the line of thinking goes. I wanted to go back to Utopia just to, to explain a little more why it might work there. You know, not every school district across the country can do something like this, I think. For them, there's such a small town, a tight-knit community you might make the case that they do need something like this. They can't really afford to hire a security guard or a police officer in that school district. They're in a remote area, so it takes 30 minutes for a sheriff deputy to reach that town if an emergency happens. You know, So you can kind of make the case that, well, we do need some more security this way. Yeah, that's certainly the case that they make. And I think the other piece that factors into this is that the gun culture is very, very pervasive. So, you know, everybody I talked to owned a gun or several guns. Usually they hunt a lot. They, you know, shoot guns for fun. And then they actually own them for personal protection because they are sort of out on their own out there. So I think that is probably the biggest piece of this. The reason that parents are comfortable with this is because they are comfortable around guns and they've taught their children to be safe around guns. And yeah, they just simply trust that school officials will get this right. Yeah, it's totally interesting. As you mentioned, the parents, everybody's so comfortable with it. And and what do the teachers themselves say? I know they volunteered to be part of these programs, 
But we hear from teachers unions, other uh, teacher groups roundly say that mostly teachers don't want to do this. They don't want to be put in that position. But, uh, you know, here in this tightly knit town, you know, they want to take that up. They're volunteering for it. Yeah, I think one thing to remember is that Utopia is an outlier among outliers. It has 200 students from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade. They're on one single campus. They are so small that they're in the smallest like athletic division, and they're still playing schools that are twice their size. So yeah, I mean, I think teachers unions bring a lot of really valid complaints. This is a choice that this community has made, though. And yeah, they seem to be sticking to it. But yeah, teachers unions point out things like You know, they already have so many things to worry about, like they shouldn't have to be worrying about protecting themselves and protecting their kids with a gun. They worry about what if their colleagues, you know, leave the gun unsecured. And then other people raise questions like, well, what if somebody accidentally shoots a student or accidentally shoots another colleague in the heat of a moment? We've even seen law enforcement who've been responding to school shootings shoot other police officers. So, They raise some, you know, some really valid points about why this would be a horrible idea. Mariah Belingit, national education reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Since the gas prices increased, the maximum amount of the purchase also increased. And in this situation... These networks increased the amount of hold because some people weren't able to fill their gas in one transaction. Joining us now is Aisha Kalja, personal finance reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Aisha. Thank you for having me. Well, let's talk about something that happens on the back end when you're getting gas. I'm pretty sure a lot of people didn't know about I I never knew this really happened, but... When you go and you use uh, your your credit card or your debit card to get gas, as a lot of people do, the companies actually put a hold on your card. Uh, it used to be 125 bucks, but since we're seeing higher gas prices now, that fee has gone up to 175 dollars. Usually, this fee gets settled out very quickly in a matter of hours, but it could mean an overdraft risk for some. It shows up on your credit card balance uh, at least for uh, the moments that it needs to clear out, but. Like I said, it's just something that I'm pretty sure a lot of people really weren't aware of. So, Aisha, tell us a little bit more about it, please. So, when you're at the gas station paying at the pump, the merchant doesn't know how much worth of gas you're actually purchasing. So, when you put in your card, it puts a hole in your account to make sure that the gas station, the merchant, is paid for the final amount that you use. This practice is actually very common with hotels and rental car services to make sure that you initially have the balance in your account that is sufficient for the purchase to go through. Right. And, you know, it makes sense for a rental car and, and, and hotels. I'm pretty sure everybody that's gone through that process is very familiar with those. And, you know, that's protection for them. What if you ruin the room and, and all that stuff or ruin the car? But, uh, you know, for something as quick as a transaction as getting gas, I'm pretty sure a lot of people weren't really aware that this takes place. How long does this usually take to clear out this hold that they put on your card? So you're right. A lot of people sometimes don't even notice this hold. But according to MasterCard and Visa, this hold should be cleared within two hours. But with some cards, depending on what network the merchant is using, this hold can last a little bit longer. But in most cases, you should be able to have the money back in your account, all the 
hold lifted within two hours. Now, this is only becoming more of a concern right now because, as I mentioned, you know, gas prices are going up. What this price that was, it used to be set at was $125, right? That's probably mm-hmm. up the, about the maximum that somebody can put in their car, you know, if you have a big truck or something like that. But now, because gas prices have gone up so much, this hold has gone up to $175. Yes, that's true. Actually, as the gas prices surged earlier this year, MasterCard and Visa both had the maximum hold amount that was $125 before April. And after April, as the gas prices increased, this hold also increased to $175. So this hold was, as you said, basically set on the maximum amount of the purchase that could be done. But since the gas prices increased, the maximum amount of the purchase also increased. And in this situation, these networks increased the amount of hold because some people weren't able to fill their gas in one transaction. Right. Okay, so where does the trouble now come for the consumer? So for credit card users, uh, the concerns are a little different. Same thing as if you use a debit card, the concerns could be a little different. Overdraft fees, things like that could be in play now. Actually, this is a little bit different when it comes to debit cards and credit cards because for the credit cards, it's mainly based on there's a hold in your credit card balance, but when it comes to the checkings, you actually are not able to use the money that you have in your checking account. And if you don't have enough money for the hold in your checking account, you can face overdraft fees or have the transaction declined. Aisha Kalje personal finance reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. I can't stop dressing up dogs in costumes, so... I loved, um, they, I, I, I had it uh, make me a Shiba Inu wearing a firefighter costume, and they're all adorable, and, I, and I, I wish they were real and that I could adopt them. Joining us now is Casey Newton, contributing editor at The Verge. Thanks for joining us, Casey. Thanks for having me. 
Well, let's talk about a new technology that's coming on that could be the cause of a creative revolution. We're seeing this image generation tool called Dolly. It's kind of this mix of Salvador Dolly and the little robot, <laughs> Disney robot, Wally. But it's a, an image generation tool where you can basically write in any text and it's going to come back with you with some pretty impressive graphics, you know, and different art styles as well. I've gotten a chance to see a bunch of things. They're all over Twitter. I know you have had a chance to play around with this as well. And as I mentioned, it's kind of unclear what the future holds for this type of technology right now, but it seems very, very cool at the moment and there's a lot of possibilities for it. So Casey, tell us a little bit more about Dolly. Yeah, so Dolly is made by a company called OpenAI that's here in San Francisco. It's one of a number of tools that are using this kind of text-to-image technology. You know, So sort of imagine using the Google search bar like it was Photoshop and just kind of typing anything that you can imagine into existence. You know, So I started using it when I got access to show me like aliens eating sandwiches. And, you know, in about 15 seconds, it spat out 10. And pretty credible looking aliens eating sandwiches. And, you know, I, I've been writing about tech for a long time. And all this technology has a lot of potential risks. Um, I think if you use it in this kind of more whimsical way, it's one of the, the most fun things I've seen come out of the tech world in a long time. Do we have a sense of how it works? Yeah, as we know, with a lot of AI tools and everything, you're usually feeding it tons of stuff, whether it's text or pictures for, you know, image recognition, whatever it could be. You know, these traditional AI models are being fed all sorts of stuff, but this seems to generate anything out of nowhere. Do we know how this works? What OpenAI has done is train this machine learning model on both a bunch of images and the relationship between those images and text. So it shows the AI a million apples and says, you know, this picture corresponds to the word apple. And then it does the same thing for orange and banana and, you know, as many concepts as it can. And over time, the machine learning tool can learn the relationships between things to generate images that might never have been depicted before. So it can show you an astronaut riding a horse, and then maybe it can even show you uh, a horse riding an astronaut. But it's all <laughs> sort of based on the, the AI learning those relationships between the text and the images. And the other impressive thing is that the version two has come out now. So now it's even better. You can actually edit the photo once it comes back. Let's say you want a different color of something or, you know, you're mentioning apples and oranges. You got an orange, but you want to switch it out for an apple now. The editing that you can do with it now has come into play. You mentioned, you know, not many people have access to this right now. Who can play with this? Dolly is now in what they're calling an open research beta. They're trying to add about a thousand people a week to it. Um, you know, you can uh, apply at OpenAI's website to get access to it. And they're kind of seeing how people use it uh, before they roll it out more broadly. What are the implications of a technology like this? That was kind of a big question that you had when you did a write-up for this. You know, are people going to lose jobs? You know, illustrators, could they lose jobs because of it? Other companies that create certain, you know, similar things like this, could it be used for not so good reasons? So what are the implications of a technology like this? Yeah, I mean, the implications are, are really big, and I expect we'll be sorting through them from some time, um, you know, to take two of the things that you mentioned. One is, I think we should assume that at least some jobs will be lost to automation. 
I could see a lot of people using a tool like this instead of using a, a sort of more traditional stock photo service, for example, right? If you can just sort of conjure a person into existence doing whatever you want, you might not need uh, Getty images anymore. But then there's just also the, the potential for misuse, which I think we need to think about really carefully, right? You know, there's been a lot of attention paid to the, the idea of deep fakes, right? Sort of synthetic images. Uh, what happens if people are able to depict very realistic photographs of politicians doing things that they didn't actually do? We've already started to see people use technologies in similar ways. So OpenAI has pretty good content policies that are preventing people from doing a lot of the sort of obvious bad things that you can imagine people doing with this sort of thing. But I imagine we're going to see other similar tools from other people who might not be quite as scrupulous and, and might let people get away with some pretty nasty stuff. It is pretty fun and exciting, as I mentioned, just pouring through the internet and looking at it. It looks like it's it's loads of fun. Just, a, you know, endless meme generation was what I was thinking <laughs> that you could start, yeah. uh, you know, making with this. And, you know, you've had a chance to play with it. So how many hours have you wasted on this? <laughs> how, how much, how much uh, fun are you having with it? OpenAI currently limits everyone who's testing it to 50 images a day. Um, wow, and, it, okay. and it takes a while to generate 50 images. So, you know, I've been spending at least a few minutes with it every day. The first day I got it, I used all 50 of my images in probably about an hour and a half. You know, I've been spacing them out a little bit more after that. Um, and then I've also been uh, letting the people who read my newsletter sort of send in requests so that we can just sort of get other wow. people's ideas for what to test it on. But yeah, it's absolutely become part of my day just um, trying to kind of understand what this thing can and, and can't do and, and just enjoying the creativity that comes from it, you know, as somebody who would love to be able to great uh, to be great at creating art, but, you know, I, I really don't have much talent there, so yeah. it's fun to let the AI do it for me. Okay, last question briefly, what was the best image that's come back to you on this? <laughs> oh, man, what is the best image that's come back to me? I did create a folder of them, and I just, I guess the way to answer that question is to say, I can't stop dressing up dogs in costumes, so... <laughs> I loved, um, they, I, I, I had it uh, make me a Shiba Inu wearing a firefighter costume, and they're all adorable, and I, and I, I wish they were real and that I could adopt them. <laughs> all right, there you go. We'll be seeing and hearing more about this uh, program. Dolly, Casey Newton, contributing editor at The Verge, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.